Hello, and welcome to Nashville Savvy. I'm your host, Megan Lee Petitlick with The Pamphleteer, and I hope you guys are staying warm during these um, frigid temperatures here in Tennessee. We've been keeping it warm here in East Nashville. Luckily, the TVA has been doing a good job with the grid, and so um, hope hope that you've actually found some fun things to do in your time off, or at the very least, maybe you caught up on some uh, Netflix or some reading or whatever it is that you do in your free time. Today, we're going to go into a little bit about uh, political narratives and how things work as far as political persuasion in local media. But I wanted to start out by pointing out something that we saw posted today well, I think it was posted yesterday, but posted this week following these frigid temperatures and storms that are happening across, uh, you know, Tennessee and across the entire country. Basically, there was an article put out by News Channel 2, and it was titled Winter Storms, Why Is It So Cold If the Planet Is Warming? And if you didn't catch that, it was in the, I think, the national section of the news outlet. But of course, uh, w- very little context as far as locally. This was written by somebody who uh, lives in a different state. She's from Chicago and, of course, published and redistributed in multiple news outlets. It had more to do with hammering home the ever-present climate narrative than it did any local relevance to, you know, this deep freeze that we're going through. And I want to talk about how the media plays a role and how different uh, tactics are deployed in this art of political persuasion. And this actually was came up because I read a tweet by our friend, uh, council member Sean Parker. Sean Parker is an East Nashville council member. He is a uh, has stated that he is a democratic socialist, but he posted uh, a thread. And originally there was a thread made by a gentleman named Will Stansel. You might know him, you might not, but he's known known for some of his political ramblings, uh, sometimes not really congruent. We were reading through some of his articles and he contradicts himself a lot, but he made a point, this was his tweet, Guys, when the GOP says the economy is bad, the correct answer is actually the economy is super strong, not some convoluted dodge where you go, I hear your plan and acknowledge you, your misery. And yes, I agree, but blah, 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 blah. So he's making a point about how to counter, you know, a GOP talking point by another redirecting this to a different talking point, which would be actually the economy is strong. And the thing that Parker retweeted was actually denouncing that tweet. The uh, chairman of the Democratic Socialists of America Fund actually denounced the tweet saying, I will break in and say, this is just wrong to connect with anybody. Any decent canvassing and, and organizing will teach you that. So he's saying this approach is completely impersonal and wrong. And it is about emotionally connecting with who you're talking to. And this made me think 
how subjected we all are to the political narratives of our local media, our local politicians, people we trust, experts in the field, influencers, everybody has an angle. And I have a piece out today called everything is political and politics is everything because that's what it starts to feel like when you don't even know you're getting inundated with information. People are publishing articles with an angle, kind of like the climate piece that was published by News 2. And it's all to forward these narratives that we're constantly being inundated with. And so I wanted to cover a little bit of local context of what this looks like, because the more you understand it, the more you can obviously collect information. We encourage people to, of course, read the pamphleteer for a perspective, but also that doesn't mean you stop reading other news reports, news articles. You should definitely follow your legislators. You should see what the narrative they're trying to paint is. So I'm going to pull up this. Um, I'm going to pull up a little bit about these bills that are in regards to locking guns in your cars. Now, in Nashville and across the major cities in Tennessee, we have a gun theft issue. Of course, these are criminals going, stealing guns from homes. But specifically in Nashville, when you look at reporting, you hear a lot of talk about guns being stolen from vehicles. And this happens to people downtown all the time, break-ins in cars, stolen guns, et cetera, et cetera. It's a real issue here in Nashville. And I'm not saying that it's not. But back during General Assembly last year and during special session this year, surrounding those two sessions, you saw a lot more media coverage when it come when it came to firearms being stolen from vehicles. And I can't prove that it's attacked, but it is useful when it comes to legislators trying to push their legislation. So we've seen multiple people trying to push legislation that would penalize lawful gun owners if they don't lock up their guns in their cars. And of course, with this media coverage surrounding stolen firearms from vehicles, they frame that this legislation is necessary to prevent guns from being stolen. And so they should be penalized. Lawful gun owners should be penalized if they do not lock up their guns. So they're penalizing the lawful abiding citizens. And the real issue is, do more laws solve this problem? Is penalizing and and putting in place gun control laws for lawful owners going to help the fact that guns are being stolen by criminals illegally from vehicles. And I'm going to show you how they've kind of created this narrative, not only in the media, but then they also perpetuate it. So in these major cities, despite the fact that there is major issues with this, DAs are pretty lax when it comes to prosecuting the actual crimes of stolen firearms. For example, I don't know if you all remember a guy named Corey Stone. So Corey Stone was booked by the police back in November. He did a carjacking on a 66-year-old woman in the Kroger parking lot over on Charlotte. And this incident occurred, but his criminal record showed that he had been arrested for three times for stealing firearms and since June. So he had been arrested for stealing the firearms, was re released back into society, and then eventually 
it came to this carjacking that subjected this poor 66 year old woman to this criminal behavior. And, um, Oh, are you going to pull up that tweet G? So this whole narrative surrounding guns being stolen. Oh, here we go. This guns being stolen from cars and we need to legislate and penalize lawful gun owners because they're being stolen from cars. But at the same time, we're not actually prosecuting the people who steal the guns is just one very easy example of how this whole persuasion, uh, art of persuasion, as far as the narrative goes, that's not the only thing that happens here in Nashville. In fact, gun legislation and mental health became a hot issue when we were talking, unfortunately, about the Belmont shooting. So if you don't recall, Jillian Ludwig was hit by a bullet that was shot by somebody who had also been a repeat offender that was out of not incarcerated. And there's a whole slew of things that I think we've talked about before on here about what happened with that particular criminal and why he was out and at large and how he ended up shooting Jillian Ludwig. But when we looked at how the mayor responded, instead of talking about the catch and release issues that allowed criminals to be back out on the streets, in the beginning, he really was trying to redirect towards, of course, mental health and, of course, gun control. And this year we've seen when we're going back to guns being stolen from vehicles, we're already seeing a bill by Justin Pearson resurfacing that would penalize $500 for every time a gun owner is basically cited for not locking up his gun or her gun in their car. So all of these cogs are part of a giant wheel that works together. And I just wanted to point some of this out because everything that you are consuming is subject to a political narrative. There is no, (laughs) as far as context framing, social pressure, tragedy even, there's no subject that is off limits when it comes to becoming source material for political narratives. And we see it happening locally. And of course, Sean Parker, who I was talking about, was actually exposing and pointing out some of this narrative framing and how this works in politics. And I just wanted to touch on that today. It's been a pretty quiet week. Of course, we had the actual council meeting delayed until next Tuesday. We had all of the General Assembly delayed until next week. We've seen multiple meetings postponed by uh, the governor. In fact, it wasn't until today that they opened up government offices and the I hope you're staying warm. Of course, there's been multiple deaths because of the freezing cold. And but I also hope that you're having fun. And that's actually going to go into my lately. So we're going to segue over real quick to our lately or local corner. I'm sorry. (laughs) We're going to. All right, I'm going to pull up this video. This was posted by Fox 17, and the caption on it was, Boys will be boys. And it was uh, <laughs> some people outside having fun in an ATV doing donuts. Now, there's something to be said about 
a blanket of snow feeling and tasting like freedom. And <laughs> I'm from central New York where, you know, people drive snowmobiles to school and there really is something that affects you when when this wintry weather is upon us. Of course, people have days off and it just feels almost like you're untouchable. We've seen multiple people doing donuts on roads and Obviously, we've seen people playing in the snow. We've seen people skiing down main streets on cross-country skis. Like, there's something just so freeing about the snow. And I wanted to touch on this because, of course, I'm not condoning reckless behavior at all. When you're on a local road and there are people around and you're doing donuts and it's dangerous or you're putting yourself or others in danger, it's not a good thing. But the hyper, the almost... I would call it like a hyper reaction to people outside enjoying the snow and feeling the freedom that is apparently snow is just uh, to put it in context. It's just this overall picture of how the society is kind of working. In fact, I saw a post by a gentleman who was complaining about how NDOT only plows the roads, but the sidewalks, are not taken care of and how that is unfair to those who walk and such, which is, which is fair though. We hardly deal with snow. So it's not like we have the manpower to just deploy people to clear all the sidewalks. And in fact, you're supposed to clear your own sidewalk, but when everybody's on a snow day and it's freezing outside, I don't think that, and we know it's going to warm up again. I don't think that people are particularly focusing on, anything other than enjoying themselves, cozying up and spending some time with their family. And it's just a larger, it's a small microcosm of this larger issue of where people following the rules, people wanting to have one way and not the other. When we're talking about transit specifically and the people who like the walkable, bikeable cities, it's funny how it always comes up against the evil car people. And cars in themselves are kind of this uh, icon of freedom, You're, the open road. You hop in a vehicle, you could it, it transformed mobility for human beings in such a way that it did bring this sense of freedom and that you have all these endless possibilities. And that's kind of symbolically what cars mean to people. And then you have also the transit narrative that paints this type of uh, I guess this type of feeling or this type of attachment to vehicles, motor vehicles as some smear on their character, when in fact, it's really about the fact that they're attacking something that's even deeper, the sense of freedom and autonomy and individualism. And so I wanted to kind of address that because these these people doing donuts, I saw a rant on television where a news crew was denouncing somebody doing, po you know, donuts uh, in a, in like during their live stream or something like that. And it just sounds like an old school marm, like tisk tisk <laughs> that you're out here having fun in the snow again, not condoning reckless behavior, but it's just a trend that we're seeing when everything, instead of coming together and realizing that these things symbolically feel and symbolically are and mean different things to different people. And we end up just attacking lifestyle in, in terms of policy is a sad thing for American communities and something that hopefully, as we saw last week, 
Freddie O'Connell might be coming up with a transit proposal and we'll know by the end of the month. Hopefully he'll be taking into consideration that there's more than just the uh, transit activists who care about transportation in Nashville. And it's not that the people who drive vehicles don't want there to be better traffic and, you know, clearer roads and potholes filled and shorter commutes to work. It's just we have to find a way to work together. And hopefully he'll take note from Megan Barry, who totally flopped back in 2018 with her proposal because she just did not integrate into her plan any continuity with surrounding counties. And a lot of people who live who work in Nashville live on the outside and are commuters into the city. So hopefully he'll be taking notes if he is going to do a proposal and take into consideration those who are skeptical of transit and transit uh, proposals on their dime, as well as those who are commuters who come in from outside to work here and play here in Nashville, Tennessee. So let's, uh, let's go into our, what's our next topic here. So I wanted to, um, do I, I don't really have a Metro Mayhem because nothing really crazy has happened this week. I will say that next week it's going to be it is going to be crazy, and I'm sure I'll have multiple clips for you. We've seen a couple people coming out against uh, specifically that the MNPD is going to be trying to integrate into their already existing system of surveillance, private citizens. Uh, surveillance footage, like surveillance cameras that they have on their private property. So basically what's being proposed is that you can voluntarily integrate your own camera feed into MNPD's system of surveillance. And this is something that, in fact, has a lot of interesting bedfellows, because just as much as you have the activists who are trying to protect um immigrant communities, black communities, all that type of stuff that we've seen. You also have people who really care about the surveillance state and are weary of this type of thing. So we're going to be hearing a lot about that because we've already seen it covered by all of the local media because they're on this like white on rice, so they say. But also what's going to be coming down is a little bit about this stormwater fee. And I want you guys to pay attention to that as well, because we'll be covering this topic a little bit more exhaustively than perhaps some of the other outlets, specifically the stormwater fees that they're proposing that would basically be a fee that people who build on um, land and plug into the metro water system, well, technically just if they're building, that they have to pay a stormwater fee and that will pay, that will go into a fund that will help pay for our stormwater system both our sewer and um, uh, other our regular water. So as we've seen the population increase in Nashville, what's happened is that it's taken its toll, of course, on our water systems here. And this is a way that the council came up with to kind of create a bigger budget to upkeep our water systems. The problem is that some of these fees are going to be applied to people who aren't even plugged into the water system. So our metro water system. And as we've seen in the past with the sidewalk legislation, 
they had tried to make people who were building, they were withholding permits until some, until people who were building on Nashville uh, property paid a sidewalk fee that would help Metro pay for sidewalks or if they built the sidewalk, which is why we see these floating sidewalks where they just kind of end abruptly in the middle of nowhere. There's no continuity at all. <laughs> Later on, if you recall, the Metro government was sued because of this and they lost. So now Metro and all of its taxpayers are footing the bill for paying back all these people who paid into this sidewalk fee. And Metro Legal now is afraid that if they don't make adjustments to this new water fee that they're doing for people plugging into the water system or people who aren't even plugging into the runoff water system, that they will be sued for this as well. And we will again be left holding the bag. So I want to keep an eye on that. Uh, council actually deferred this bill because they wanted to look at it further. They were not happy that they wanted to change the original bill that was passed. In fact, the original bill that was passed went into effect on January 1st. So we'll see what happens with that. We'll see if they'll learn their lesson. And if they don't, unfortunately, we're the ones left holding the bag when they make mistakes. So I want you guys to keep that in mind as we go into next week. Of course, General Assembly will be firing back up and we're tracking the bills in there. We've covered a couple bills this week and a couple bills last week. And if there's anything that you guys have your eye on, please feel free to email us, message us on Twitter. We always love tips and we always love insights as to what you all are interested in following. We're going to end today on a positive outro here because I've really been enjoying a lot of the videos that people are posting in the snow. And um, I wanted to uh, just remind everybody to, you know, stay safe, have fun, enjoy this time, enjoy this snow before we have to go back to real life. So on that note, y'all have a wonderful rest of your day. Join me next week. If you haven't watched it, you should watch Davis's interview yesterday on Office Hours. He talked about, they were talking about um, school choice. And I think it was, uh, I can't remember his first name, D'Angelo or D'Angelis is the last name of the Corey. I think his name is great interview. We also have a great past interview on, on our pamphleteer website with the, uh, somebody connected with Hillsdale and she really laid out how the Hillsdale schools, charter schools work and what their focus is and what their goals are and how they function, where they get their money from and all that type of stuff. So make sure to go on our website, look at the podcast and find the one about Hillsdale because that was a really insightful chat that we did, I think about a year ago now. And um, if you want to get brushed up before we get into General Assembly, where all of this is going to come out, all the ESA stuff is going to be the talk of the town. You can kind of brush up in your free time on that stuff there. Thanks, guys. Have a good day.